Yes, during the holy month of Ramadan, accidents are on the rise. That's what we're talking about in this segment now for Motomania. We are live in the studio with uh, some some guests who are going to talk about this because last year, Road Safety UAE found that during this period, accidents occur in the morning and, of course, just after iftar. Now, while accidents involve pedestrians, cyclists and motorists, more often than not, heavy vehicle, heavy duty vehicles, in fact, are being singled out due to the magnitude of the road crashes that they tend up getting involved in. In Abu Dhabi and LA, there is a ban on heavy duty trucks, lorries, and buses carrying more than 50 passengers between the hours of 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., and again from the hours of 2 p.m. through to 4 p.m. throughout the month. Now, this month alone, two accidents in Dubai involved trucks. The first one was on the Dubai Alain Road. It resulted in serious injuries when a uh, driver took the right lane. The other one was on Emirates Road with the driver sustaining very serious injuries. Is it possible to have safer roads with trucks around? So today, we invited two guests who know all about heavy-duty vehicles. I'm joined by Naveen Sook, the Fleet Board Manager for Daimler and Melissa Gilroy, part of the Mercedes-Benz and Fuso trucks, uh, who recently obtained your heavy-duty truck driving license. Um, and of course, we're still joined by Noel Ebden. Welcome, everyone. Hi. Thank you very much for having us for the show. Fantastic. So um, why do you think trucks have a bad reputation on, on UAE roads? Yeah, Damien, thank you for having us on the show and Ramadan Karim to all the listeners. Uh, yeah, when it comes to truck uh, driving in, in the MENA region or mainly in UAE, uh, from our side as uh, Mercedes-Benz trucks, we have our dealers who do a lot of training for our drivers. But uh, the, the other road users also need to have a little bit of understanding of the operation of the trucks. So... I mean, the trucks are driving with heavy loads. The drivers are quite uh, in a rush sometimes. But when it comes to Ramadan, uh, obviously the sleep patterns have changed. Uh, this leads to uh, drowsiness, dizziness, etc. And uh, also a lo- loss of concentration on the road. So this is the key messages via driver training from uh, our uh, general distributors and ourselves who are supporting our transport operators in, in educating the drivers about uh, driving with mm. the, with a different type of attitude, uh, especially during the Ramadan period. Uh, yeah, the trucks nowadays are equipped with a lot of safety systems, so this helps some of our drivers or, or, or those that are driving these trucks with our safety systems, yeah. like Active Brake Assist, because... If you notice on the UAE roads, most truck accidents are caused by following distance. Uh, You have them driving in one lane. And uh, if you look on the truck road, they are are allowed to overtake there. But on the Abu Dhabi side, it's one free lane driving directly almost to Saudi Arabia. And this tends to... uh, uh, so lot, lots, loss of concentration and uh, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 tell us, Naveen, talk us through the the, the training that you actually conduct uh, to prepare truck drivers to head out on the roads. What what are the, the specifics that you look at? Okay, from our side, we have a uh, various levels of training courses. So we start off with a uh, two day familiarization course. Uh, so this is getting the driver to know all the systems on the trucks. Uh, it, in today's world, I don't. I'd like to call our truck drivers uh, managers of our systems now because you have so many systems. Like 
on Mercedes-Benz trucks, we have our automated transmission called PowerShift. Uh, this leads to less fatigue for the driver, and, and uh, yeah, the, he keeps both hands on the steering wheel. Uh, it can also lead uh, sometimes to a bit of laziness because now it's an automated truck, and then the driver needs to understand that because they are coming for many, many generations from manual, what we call the stick shift, and now we have automated shift. Then we have a lot of safety systems like Active Brake Assist is the most famous one, and this uh, is the latest technology on on most mm. European trucks. And with, with Mercedes-Benz trucks, we are we are leading in the safety system. So basically, the system mm. is working with radar and cameras, and it's uh, it's helping the driver in case he's losing concentration and avoiding a rear end collision. Uh, there are also other systems for the drivers uh, where they need a bit of education. It's like lane assist or proximity control using the cruise control systems. And, uh, yeah, yep. this is the very stringent training that we do. Uh, most of the big fleets, they have their own driver trainers who are supported by us and our our dealer driver trainers who are relaying these messages and continuous driver training. So it's Yeah, so... Um Melissa, I'd like to come to you now very quickly. Now, you've you've got experience with all of this. You're, as I said before, you're part of Mercedes-Benz and Fuso Trucks. You've just got your heavy-duty vehicle license. That's correct. I mean, that is fascinating. That's fantastic, Mabrook. That's uh, amazing. How, how is the training and why? And how is the training? Okay. Uh, just, uh, I mean, first of all, I'm so happy that I got this truck driving license because I've been in this industry for around 10 to 12 years uh, 12, 13 years in this industry, truck industry. And for me to have that opportunity to finally take a truck on the UAE roads, that was fascinating. Um, I'm uh, very jealous, by the way, because <laughs> this is something I've wanted to do for ages. It, so, yeah. just, you yeah. must do it. Me I three. mean, from there, from the experience, my own experience, I said this is something that it, it's amazing experience. Um, but definitely the training process that we have over here, the schools for training, it's very rigorous, very intense, and it's a, it does not take – it takes you a couple of months actually to go for this training you train on a tra- uh, on a tipper you train on a tractor units you have to reverse it you uh, train with the load i mean it is quite intense and um, right after i got my license um so i had the, so during our training we were training with the manual gearbox and you know it is a lot of uh, work, you know, you have to shift at the right time. You have to be aware of the road. You have to be aware of everybody around you. Um, it was a lot of work also. Uh, but then immediately, like two days, three days after I got my license, we have some of our demo units here in the region. And I had this fantastic opportunity to drive one of our demo units. Uh, we nicknamed it the Beast uh, <laughs> because it's uh, it's our big Arox 8x8 with 625 horsepower is it was and I had to drive this truck all the way from Abu Dhabi to Dubai and you it's not something that I was trained with I was trained with the manual gearbox um, so my teammate uh, my manager Stefan and Ziad was there with me uh, you know teaching me you know just to make sure okay you're calm you you got this and then we did a couple of test drives um, around the area some sand area where there was no much traffic for me to get the feel of the truck and what you won't believe is that even though they, they calm me down but for me to handle such a big and powerful truck 
and it was with such ease mm. because it had the automated gearbox in this mm. uh, our automated gearbox in this and the handling the comfort and so all i have to concentrate was making sure that this big truck that i have was i was driving it carefully yeah. and i didn't have to be bothered of changing the gears and you know all the at the right speed all of that and by the time i think what it took me around 1 hour 1 and a half hours to reach dubai I was cool as a cucumber, actually. Fantastic. We've, we've got a, a great question from, from Alyssa, who's, uh, who's listening in to us. Uh, wants to know, do you know how many women in the region have a truck license? Um, unfortunately, we don't have this um, information, but um, recently we had an event and uh, we were told that uh, it's just a handful of us that who has uh, the truck driving license. And oh. I think it's something that everybody should go yeah. ahead and I was going to say, it's got to mm. be... It's got to be a f- literally a handful. I think yeah. you could probably count on both hands, I would guess. Yeah. 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 Naveen, back mm-hmm. to you. Um, when you talk about statistics with, with, with accidents and that sort of thing, are other motorists partly to blame? I mean, is, there, is it because maybe other drivers are impatient because of the speed of the trucks or they're not aware of blind spots that, the, for instance, the truck drivers deal with? How do you, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think uh, educating the mainly passenger car or light motor vehicle drivers about the blind spot of a truck is very, very important. Uh, at Mercedes-Benz trucks, we, we actually developed a carpet type of system that we used uh, to show school children what is the blind spot. And you often see in heavy traffic that uh, a light motor vehicle is trying to squeeze between a truck and the driver has completely no view of, of them. Uh, our latest technology uh, is our mirror cam system on the truck, and this was launched in 2019 with our latest Mercedes-Benz truck, and this helps a lot for relieving um, part of the blind spot area that we did not have Mm. uh, previously. But, you know, it's something that's coming in the future for everybody. I I think truck drivers get a really bad rap, uh, especially in this part of the world, and quite a lot of the time it's actually car drivers that, Mm. that... physically don't understand i mean the amount of times i've seen a car dive into a gap between two trucks to get in and they don't understand that gap's there for a reason and it's very and one thing leads to another because then the truck drivers tend to bunch up more to stop that happening because otherwise they've got cars darting in front of them and then suddenly you've got trucks driving too close to each other which again causes even more accidents etc etc so you know it's a tough gig i mean it's not an easy uh it's not an easy thing for the guys, I tend know? to put. I, and I was speaking with Matthew um, from Algo Driven earlier on about this, saying that generally when it comes to blind spots, I have a rule of thumb that if if I can't see the driver's eyes through the mirrors, then they can't see me. So you, I, I tend to look for the mirrors on the side of the, the track, either side, mm. to see where they can see me first before I decide to turn left or right or, or to overtake. I guess these are things that are, that are coming up in, uh, in in the safety guide that you have been producing. Yeah, exactly. On some trucks, you might see a sign on the back of the trailer. Uh, some companies do do have this. Uh, they say it's exactly uh, mentioning what you've mentioned. Like, if you cannot see my mirrors, I cannot see you. Mm. you know, yeah, that's mm. that's where it's going to. And then also people uh, like cutting into the front of a truck. Uh, light motor drivers do not understand the braking characteristic of the truck because you've yeah, got a very yeah. heavy load yeah, with yeah. the weight, weight transfer. 50 or 60 tonnes, so it's not stopping like a passenger car or Absolutely, like motor yeah. vehicle. So yeah. this leads to serious accidents, and this is what we try and educate our drivers 
mainly about following distance because uh, mm. that's uh, that causes uh, a lot of accidents from from uh, our experience. Yeah, another message to texting in um again uh Melissa do you recommend who do you who would you recommend as a school for learning to drive a truck for female truck drivers? I mean uh this is from my personal experience we were training with uh the Bellasa Driving Institute and um overall even starting from the RTS guidelines for truck drivers it's I would say they have it on spot on with the yeah. information um of how to check your truck what kind of driver you need to be so i think if we have the rts guidelines along with the uh, we did it with belasas cool so for me yeah it depends someone what fantastic so just just very quickly um before we wrap up message for motorists who find themselves sharing a road with truck drivers what what would your advice be i think yeah they need to mainly stay out of the blind spot of a truck driver uh, of the truck uh avoid cutting in in front of a truck because of the braking characteristics which they don't understand and especially now during Ramadan the truck drivers are also sometimes driving or trying to do their work normally uh maybe they have to do the same amount of trips and uh they are fatigued like every other person that's fasting So uh yeah be a little bit more considerate with them and uh, message to the truck drivers and fleet operators out there Brilliant. from our side is to uh allow your drivers to plan their trips uh better maybe do less trips because work is less during Ramadan and uh yeah support your drivers in having more break times Brilliant. less than the fatigue couldn't agree more. Naveen Sook, Fleetboard Manager for Daimler, thank you so much for joining us. Melissa Gilroy, again, congratulations on, on getting your uh, your heavy-duty truck licence. You're part of the Mercedes-Benz and Fuso trucks. Um, fantastic information and advice for just keep an eye out there, folks, for, for trucks. It's a tough time for these drivers who are fasting, uh, particularly in the afternoons. This is Motormania. On Dubai Eye. 103.8. Yeah, we're talking all things cars. We've got uh, joined in the studio now with Imtishan Jado of Motoring Middle East and Noel Ebden. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, morning. Good morning. So we've been out testing uh, and driving some of the latest cars, finding out what's happening here on the UAE automotive scene. Now, firstly, before we get on to cars, we're going to talk about one of the hot topics this week, and that is the dreaded petrol prices. What are you guys paying right now for your daily runners? Just out of curiosity, a lot. Yes, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm alternating cars for the ones that have got fuel in them. Yeah, that's why I say the daily runners. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's now mixing it around a bit. <laughs> I have got two cars, neither of which are very fuel efficient. To give you, let's start with the one that was cheapest before, which was my Raptor, which was around, oof, God, in the two sixty, two seventy range. Now it's well over three. I think it'll be like three sixty for yeah. a full tank. I've also got a Land Cruiser with two tanks that used to be about three forty. Before, yes. I imagine now it's going to be over four hundred dirhams for a full tank. Now keep in mind, I get a pretty significant range out of the uh, the cruiser. Not so much the Raptor. The Raptor is not a fuel efficient car. Neither is the car that I'm <laughs> testing this week. But just makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah, the yeah. Uh, a friend of mine has a uh, FJ Cruiser, and I didn't realize they had two tanks. Yes, and yeah, thousand yeah. kilometer range. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, and they yes. they paid over well over four hundred dirhams to fill up their car. Yeah. Well, yeah. like well over 2005 Prado my friend owns one had it for years and years and years never looks after it so that's a different story but it does about 1000 kilometers to a tank and it cost him 535 dirhams yesterday to fill up 
Wow. Yeah, well, there you go. Our, our Dubai Eyes very own petrol price monitoring guru, um, <laughs> Tom Urquhart, who's chairs of Nissan Patrol, was saying yesterday he's fearing it's going to be over 400 dirhams for his next one. So uh, Fear is the right word. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was saying yesterday on the business breakfast that he's actually, while he's got the opportunity to, to swip, swap between cars, taking the more fuel-efficient car at the moment. So. Mm. Interestingly, though, uh, four-cylinder cars are going up. Uh, used four-cylinder cars have actually gone up in value. Is that not a knee-jerk reaction? Yes, absolutely. But it, knee-jerk or not, it's happened. It will happen. But yeah. people tend to think incredibly short-term. And I make a very quick point here. I know people who are messaging me and saying, oh, I need to buy like a cheap car like a Sunny or something like that. Nothing wrong with those cars. Great cars. But don't buy it for those reasons because you're mm. trying to save gas. Because you're spending 25,000 dirhams for a used car to save 50 dirhams at the pump. The maths don't add up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that we're down at that end of the car spectrum, we've moved away from the SUVs. It looks like demand, though, for um, for, for petrol cars overall isn't going away, as you say. The, the, the prices are there. And there's quite a few brands, the, the brand new models that have, that have come out in the market. And uh, it's quite timely now that we talk about that. The Honda Civic Sport is um, is one of the most fuel-efficient cars out there. You've both driven it. What are your opinions? I've actually got it downstairs, parked downstairs, so I'm in it at the moment. Have you fed the meter? I have indeed. <laughs> um, I'm loving it, actually. Um, I'm, I'm actually surprised. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as um, I have. It's actually taken me back to my my misspent youth of uh, hooning around in little hot hatches and stuff. It's actually got Petrol a bit was of cheaper then. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I was living in the UK, so perhaps not. Now, it's badged as a sport, but it's not the sport sport that we get in other markets, correct? Correct. Yeah, it's not the 2-litre. It's the 1.5 turbo. Um, Although I think, correct me if I'm wrong, in the US, the 2-litre is actually the base engine. The 1.5 is the optional premium engine because of the way the power outputs line up. Yeah, it's a bit confusing. It, 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 the way... The way the whole model lineup is done, um, it's it's actually a standalone model here. So you, you there's buy one as model, a sport. there's one trim. Yes. There's yes. no cheap mm. Civic anymore. No. This is just it, which yes. is a very strange. I, I drove it a few months ago, and I couldn't get over. It. Firstly, with that new body stock, because it was the first one of that new generation I've driven. The size, how mm. much bigger they are over previous Civics. It's the size of an old five series BMW. It is. It really <laughs> to put is. into perspective. And, and and hats off, kudos to them for for going down a, a, a very different styling path. It's just a, a refreshing mm. look for a lot of cars are becoming very similar inside and outside these days. Yeah, but I, I must admit, the, the, thing, the thing that really hit me was just how nice the interior is. Yeah. I mean, there, there seems to be no bad interiors anymore. There's very, oh, very few. Um, and you get in it, and it feels, it feels German almost inside. I mean, it's, um, it is so nice. That Beautifully looks, put together. Yeah, eh? Really nice car. Yeah. So, at the, okay, let's go to the other end, end of the scale. In the Shan, the Ram Rebel TRX. I wish I was driving the Civic Sport after these petrol prices. So I picked up the TRX on day one of petrol prices going through the roof. But you know what? That's not a problem. If you've enjoyed your life, you'll enjoy it more with the TRX. I'm actually extremely fortunate. I'm one of the few people probably in the world who's had a chance to drive every single variant of the Hellcat engine. For those who don't know, it's the 6.2 litre supercharger engine, 707 horsepower, came out. 2015 or 16 and it has powered some incredible cars challenger hellcat charger hellcat etc i've driven the manual hellcat which is they sell in the u.s but not over here and i've driven the jeep hellcat this one is probably the most sensible version yet which they put the same engine into a pickup truck and they made what they describe as a super truck so a 702 horsepower beast of an off-road car and also in every possible metric it is gargantuan it is huge it is not easy to park. It is not easy to fuel. And it is absolutely adorable. I love can, it. Can you use the word sensible 
with a hemi-powered pickup truck? That's <laughs> it's, my main it's question not here. bad on gas if you don't lean into the supercharger. The thing about a Hellcat engine and why you have to drive uh, TRX or any kind of Hellcat Challenger or Charger is just to listen to the whine of the supercharger. It sounds like an alarm bell from a fire station. When you drive off, it is incredibly addictive and it's very hard to save on gas when you hear that thing just wailing away. It is very evocative, absolutely lovely to drive. I have no idea how it is to drive in the desert. But it is a big, big car. It's not like, say, a Bronco or a Jeep where it's just very nimble. This thing is like a straight line uh, cannon. Mm. But it will climb anything and everything. So I'm really looking forward to giving it the beans in the desert, but also very aware of how expensive petrol is. Yeah. We'll talk, we're just about to start talking about electrification. Now, Audi has, uh, has, has recently won the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge in an electric vehicle or so. Um, Noel, tell us a little bit about this one. Okay, so they've they won the uh, Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge in the RSQ e-tron. Now, is it electric or is it not? We were just having this debate. Uh, it is. I mean, look. First of all, this is a great step forward for yeah, yeah. Um, uh, electrification in that the, the two big things that hit uh, anything electric are heat and being on the throttle all the time. And if you're racing, as anyone who's ever done any rallying will know. You're, it's hot and you're on the yeah. throttle all the time. So, therefore, um, yeah, it is a big step forward for it to be able to do that. Is it electric? This, well, I'll let, let's get well, into that. Go the, on. Yeah, the, the reason why I say this is because, I mean, the Audi RSQ e-tron, it clinched its first overall victory last month. Uh, Stefan Peter Hansel, Eduard Bollinger, uh, they decided the second round of the FIA World Rally Championship in their favour uh, after the Frenchman won in Abu Dhabi with an advantage of just under 30 minutes, which is, which is amazing. Now, what you say, it's a range extender. Um, and, and basically what it is, it's got three electric motors, which come from Audi's Formula E car. And, uh, and then the range extender is a two-litre four-cylinder turbo petrol engine that was in the previous A5 DTM German touring car. Um, now, what that does, that, that's effectively it's an onboard generator. It powers the, electric, it, it, the batteries so that it drives as an electric vehicle. But it's still developing 400 horsepower from that petrol engine, and it's still chewing through 300 litres of petrol for every 700 kilometre stage. So I would argue that it's not an electric vehicle, it's a range extender, but it's, 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 it's driven by electricity. It is, yeah. I mean, I'd love to have been in the meeting where somebody said, let's go racing in the <laughs> desert and use three uh, motors from yes. Formula E and then use a DTM engine to keep the batteries charged. That, that, <laughs> well, that was quite a meeting. In, in one sense, yeah. it's recycling because they're using their, all their old motorsport equipment that exactly, comes together yeah. as one car. Yeah. Now, speaking of EVs, a, a UAE, UAE company wants to deliver, uh, wants all delivery companies to use their mopeds instead of motorcycles. Now, an Emirati company called Bach EV has come up with a moped that's been fully assembled right here in the UAE. They, um, they have uh, cooled handlebars for the hot weather, which is actually quite cool, reflective windshield to, perfect, to protect the driver from the heat, uh, has a smart dashboard that helps the driver find any address without having to resort to a phone, a range of about 140 kilometres, comes with, a, with a, a swappable battery, get this, a top speed of 120 kilometres per hour Wow! from these. Uh, now, recently, Dubai police warned motorcycle users to drive more carefully after it reported 22 deaths and more than 250 injuries involving these delivery vehicles. Abdullah Abdushak, the CEO of Bark EV, says that their mopeds are safer and better 
than uh, combustion engine vehicles. It allows for more productivity. There is no downtime to stop and go to fuel. Uh, there is no downtime on maintenance. It doesn't break down as much because there are no liquids on the engine and so on. It's more durable. And the other part, of course, is that it's uh, cleaner on the planet. It has zero carbon emission. Most of the delivery combustion engine vehicles were not made for uh, deliveries and they were made for uh, transport. Our vehicle is made for delivery and it's engineered accordingly. So. Uh, we did not play with the engineering and put a box on top of a pre-existing vehicle that makes it uh, more of an engineering disaster than a, than a safe method of commute. This is the first time in the region that we and any country approaches a similar project that solves a global problem statement, which is last mile delivery and sustainability in last mile delivery at a local scale. Yeah, so there you go. What, what do we think? Um E-scooters, are you fans of these and these e-bikes? I'm still fascinated by cooled grips. I've had heated grips on a motorcycle <laughs> yeah. before, but never uh, cooled grips. I'm I fascinated. Think we can't, can we say cooled grips on these cars? I have bikes. Because isn't it just a little fan that's sending a little air through the grip? Because there's no, no way idea. there's an air conditioning yeah. system on there, is there? <laughs> on a bike that small. I can't, <laughs> believe, a, a I can't believe we're person. discussing the grips on yeah. a uh, scooter, but anyway, yeah. Right, so so move, moving on, we've got so much to get through in this in the, in the program um we talked about early on i i had a look at uh, something that's similar to what you drove into shan with the uh, with the trx but i had a look at a very different version of it that's been heavily modified by an italian company now carl hammer is the founder of adamas automotive they're the guys who are responsible for six marks in the gcc region that includes lotus morgan aston martin in bahrain mclaren even mclaren in hong kong i think morgan and also the Pininfarina Batista, which is the electric supercar that's on its way. We'll be talking about that, of course. And the Ineos Grenadier that's got everyone talking. He's a busy man, as you can imagine. But with so many hats to wear. Um, but this is what Carl had to say uh, about the latest on. Firstly, we'll get to uh, we'll get to the, the, the big truck later on. But first, we'll talk about what he's got to say about the Ineos Grenadier. This vehicle is one of the best off-road vehicles in the world. Uh, made in Hamburg in France. And Magnusteiner chassis, wonderful. And I know you tried it yourself, Damien. It'll save lives in mountains and jungles and deserts. And then here, because we all love our SUVs, we'll see the street editions, the signature editions with the leather and everything else. And not bad. We sold 320 already. All deposits paid. First cars arriving in September. We have it here and in Bahrain. 320 already. Now, if you think that's good... Um they're kicking a few goals with Lotus too. We all know what's been happening. 70-year-old new star company with their new owners. New factories opening as we speak. Wanting to make 200,000 cars a year. All EV. It's longer than an Urus. It's faster than an Urus. And it's less than half of the price of an Urus. 700 brake horsepower. Mm. And there will also be 900 brake horsepower, Damien, which I know you like. We are officially, I think at the end of March, the number one Lotus dealer in the world in volume. So in the UAE, once again, we proved in this country that we started for nothing in 2018 when we opened, and I'm so proud. Yeah, so number one Lotus dealer in the world for, uh, based on volume, um, but it, this, this, and this is the EV they just released this week. It's a big vehicle. It's six metres long. Uh, so we're talking as a Lamborghini Urus, Audi Q8, um, uh, Bentley Bentayga size from, from Lotus. Did you did either of you guys pick up the launch yeah. of, of that during the week? The yeah. Electra, it's called. How yes. do you pronounce that name again? I think it's Electra. 
It's a challenging one to say. <laughs> it's Aren't something. they always? Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. And naming committees. Good-looking car, though. Yeah. I guess you call it car. I'm not sure you call it an off-roader, but it's a good-looking thing. It takes some of the brutalist cues of the Urus and turns it to something slightly more, I guess, smoother and more palatable to the eye. I think it's a good-looking car. Yeah, yeah. I and, agree, and yeah, absolutely. Other launch this week in terms of SUVs, did you, did you guys catch up with Maserati's big news with the Grikali yeah. SUV? Again, yeah. is that how it's pronounced? <laughs> I believe so. We're doing our best here, people. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it, aren't we? Uh, it's, uh, um, I'm not so crazy about the styling looking, of yeah. that one, though. I think it's a great car. It's a great platform and all of that, and it'd be fantastic to drive. I'm, it's a bit like a hatchback on stilts, that one. Yeah, I mean, I... I I don't know about you guys. I did the. I signed all the NDAs before because we spoke to management last year, and, and it's been been put off because of COVID and various other things. Got there, sat down in front of the, in front of my computer to watch it, and realised that the link hadn't come through. So I missed the launch, and then I missed the press release. Didn't arrive. So so I'm I'm, I'm looking to you guys for advice on this one. Oh. <laughs> no, I think it's uh, basically a, what Maserati needed to do because first the MC20 supercars come and laid the mark down, and you can kind of see what's happening here. Maserati has become the tech leader for the Stellantis group. Now that Ferrari is mm. no longer really part of the company and officially isn't anyway, Maserati's become sort of the tech champion and basically the fashion leader. So the Grecal will be the car that is there. I guess, can we call it a Cayenne fighter, Macan fighter? What's its yeah. size that? Yeah, I think it's in that same ballpark and it's going to be really quick. They are the usual fast versions as well. They're going to be cheaper versions. And I think it's going to be the car that puts Maserati into mass production because that's always been the problem with Maserati. They've been great cars, lovely cars. You of all people should know. <laughs> However, they've never been cars that have been as popular as your average equivalent Porsche or Ferrari. This is the car that's going to change that. Yeah, probably more, more Macan uh, aimed being the smaller shape yeah. than that one, I thought um, it was interesting. They actually named it one. Of it, they actually named in as one of their rivals the Stelvio, which yes. is yes. part which of their is, same group. Is like, it Stelvio it's based platform. underneath? Yeah, yeah. It's Stelvio, it right? So it's, it's the possibly. same platform. Great yeah. start then. Interesting one. Um, now, very quickly, Noel. Also, while we're talking big engines, Aston Martin. Last it's of the, the end of an era. I know. Yeah, it's almost a line from Mad Max, isn't it? it it's really- uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> the last V12, the, the new V12 Vantage. Um, Shan and I have already argued over this um, just even before we even got in the studio. But the uh, the, the I think it looks fantastic. Mm. I mean, I've, I'm a big Aston fan anyway, and uh, I love the looks of it. Um, across the table, Imtishan? Oh, uh, I, the old V12 Vantage is on my must-buy list someday. When I win the lottery, I will be having the old V12 Vantage. The new one... I don't think I've ever really got on with the new Vantage. It's a little bit too Nike shoe for my taste, but there's no question that it's a fantastic drive. No I question mean, at all. I think the thing is, too, is because it's a very expensive engine to manufacture. Now they've got the relationship with, with AMG. They've just released the, the 707 version of the DBX SUV. I haven't driven it yet. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to, depending on supply chains and, and whatever. A few guys flew over this week and drove it. Wish it would have been there. wasn't. Um, but... It is dynamite. From speaking to some journalists in Australia who drove it, said it's absolutely dynamite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also a bit sad. Seven, it's 700 yeah. horse, 707, I believe, stands for the horsepower, so that gives you an idea. Yeah. It's not a Hellcat engine. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the thing is, the old, I think it's a bit sad because the Vantage will be the last real Aston Martin because it's got an Aston engine. Obviously, the DBX is running a Mercedes-AMG engine tuned up mm. to heck and back. So yeah. it's not the same. You know, the heart of the car is a bit German and it's not British. So yeah. I think it should be the Vantage, the one that you get. If you're going to get a Aston, get the Vantage. And yeah. then, you know, get a DBX for the runaround. Brilliant. Thank you so much, guys. We've flown through that time. Um, coming up in the next couple of weeks, well, quickly, what's on your radar? Uh, n- more cars, yeah. um, basically, and a few bikes as well. Excellent. Get it in while the weather's good. Absolutely.
I've got to get some trucks out of the way, get some F-150s and hopefully get back to sort of camping and overlanding type vehicles. So I'm looking to that. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Fix it or flip it. Yeah, that's right. So tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth. How does it work? It's easy. We need the details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour and the mileage. Send them to 4001 or via the ARN playback. And of course, I'm never doing this one alone. I am joined now by the valuation guru, Matthew Davison, Head of Pricing at Algo Driven. Good morning, Matthew. Hey, good morning, Damien. How's things been with you? Let's have a bit of a chat about these petrol prices. A few, they've gone up now. Um, if you have an average sedan with, say, I don't know, let's say 62 litres, you're, you're going to be paying just under 200 dirhams for a full tank. Well, throughout April, it's going up to 224 um, you've fortunately you've got a Tesla, which is you know you, you dodge the bullet there, but you've also got the McLaren. How how is this going to impact you? Well, before I jump into that, I must say Ramadan Kareem, and uh, I, I wish everyone and their families a blessed Ramadan. Um, but yeah, moving swiftly to fuel prices, I was actually uh, chatting to our producer Zena about this, and here's here's a quick example of how much it's changed. So if you've got a um, Mercedes G63, the G-Wagon, hmm. you will be getting every single kilometer you drive, one dirham. That's how much it's going to cost you. Um, you know, that wow. works out. That works out that, that those cars do around um, 3.5 to 3.6 uh, kilometers per liter. And that's what you're paying roughly for a liter now. Um, so what a what a change we've had in the last year in fuel prices, where literally every kilometer you click by, it's costing you a dirham. That is a, that's a remarkable statistic. It really is, and it it really puts it into into perspective. You know, every every k out there is uh, is is a silver coin. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I guess that means you'll be spending more time in the Tesla. Yeah, I, I mean, look, we've said this on previous shows. What what this does is it just puts a spotlight on what what else can we do, you know? And and I think it's not just electric. I mean, I know you're a big fan of hybrid. I'm a big fan of hybrid, and I think the the happy medium is certainly going to be looking at hybrid options, where you can just get more um, efficiency out of your cars because you know some of these hybrid models. They're doing, I mean, I'm talking, uh, you know, in, in excess of 80 to 100 miles per gallon, some of the really uh, efficient hybrids. So I think that's the way to go, uh, especially with with limited options um, still in the electric market. There's more than a one year wait now for Teslas. So you've got to look, you've got to look at hybrid options, I think. Yeah, for sure. And if anyone's uh, got an experience about driving hybrids or electric vehicles, do give us a call, uh, 04871-5500, uh, and how this is going to impact you. I've been driving, Matthew, this week an electric car, and uh, it is, you know, again, each time you drive them, you, you find different things that, that sort of just surprise you or make you realise why hasn't this been done before? And, uh, you know, it's a performance vehicle. It was the Taycan, Porsche Taycan Cross Turismo, so it actually has a little bit of off-roading. And we're going to talk about it in the second half of the show. But, uh, but you know, I had it for, for, for more than half a week, and uh, it didn't need charging, and I... I Gave it a bit of a test, you know. I, I didn't hold back because I was thinking of the range or whatever. Uh, it certainly did the job without having to, you know, plug it in every night, as some people say. Yeah, I mean, I've been an electric car owner now for a few months, and you know, my my quick opinion of owning one is I have I have zero range anxiety. I mean, everywhere I seem to go, 
there's charges and and you know even if i'm low on charge i'll zip to mall of the emirates early morning before it opens and there's a bank of eight superchargers and in 25 minutes i've got a full charge so i don't really have range anxiety what i do find myself doing is driving more than i normally would because <laughs> it's free so i just seem to make excuses to drive everywhere and and i don't care about fuel economy as well so i'm heavy footed as well and you know i'm really enjoying the electric experience there's very little downside for me and i would probably struggle and i will stress for my daily car it's never going to be a replacement for a, a supercar but um i would definitely find it hard to go back to a, a fuel based car now i've had an electric car yeah, and when you see the queues getting bigger at petrol stations as well, uh, that's also, you know, again, people saying, yeah, but, I, you know, I, I have to charge it. But you have the, the advantage of charging it either at home or at the office or at the mall. You know, uh, you don't have to. You look at the queues to get into a lot of petrol stations now and you think, well, there is a nicer alternative in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I have to balance the argument. I mean, at, at the last count, I'm sure it's more than this. There was 4,000 electric cars on the road here. I think mm. um, by next year, that will be 10x. But, um, you know, we, we have to then think, well, all right, Matthew, you're, you're, you're charging okay now, but what will it be like in 12 months? And what will it be like in 24 months? So I'm also thinking about that. And I'll certainly keep everyone updated as the months go on what my experience is with charging. Because I, I mm. have seen some videos pop up from the U.S., where there's been long queues at the Tesla superchargers, and they pay for electricity out there. Here it's free. So I, I, if it does continue to be free, I think we might start seeing um, some wait times at the charges as well. Yeah, yeah. I always, always look forward to catching up with you on your Tesla updates. We're going to definitely keep going with that because it's a really interesting topic. But later on, too, we're also going to be talking about road safety because, of course, it is the holy month of Ramadan. And it's always a tricky period in terms of traffic. The, the rush hours change. People are generally, you know, can be impatient towards the afternoons on the roads. Uh, the Abu Dhabi authorities are, are banning heavy duty vehicles at certain times of the day to avoid road crashes. Uh, what's, what's been your experience? out there driving you know around trucks on the on the roads of the uae during during this month yeah i mean look always remember a truck is so heavy i mean tons and tons of metal moving along and they can't react in time you know when you're zipping around traffic in your car you forget that you can pivot you can move quite easily these trucks can't and it's not always the truck's fault if somebody pulls in front of them they just can't stop in time. So mm. I would be, as a driver, recommending to be very careful around, uh, around drivers and don't, uh, truck drivers and don't do any sudden movements around them because they just can't react the way you can react. And my, my rule for myself generally during um, the holy month is I try not to drive too much uh, uh, around that dusk heading into sunset. Everybody's yeah. tired. Yeah. They're hungry. Um, I know it's unavoidable for some people to travel at that time, but I've always tried to avoid driving in that time. It's not necessarily me. It's somebody else on the road that, that might be tired. So, you know, try to think about your, your movements and don't make any unnecessary journeys around that time, around that dusk time, because I think you're just increasing the odds of something happening. Yeah. Um, but certainly going back to trucks, just please remember that they, they have not got the stopping power. And that's nine out of 10 is the reasons that there's, there's accidents with trucks. And you know the damage they can do if, if they're that heavy 
um, they're going to do a lot of damage. Yeah, and I also have a general rule of thumb too. In terms of blind spot with trucks, they have massive blind spots. They can't see you for most of the time. So I have a general rule of thumb that if I can't see the driver's eye through the reflection of one of the mirrors, then they can't see me. So if you're sitting too close behind them where you can't see their mirrors or you're sitting beside or, or alongside and you can't see the driver, well, then the driver can't see you. And that's a, another issue that uh, you know we, we have where – trucks have massive blind spots you think that if you're in front of the truck if you're right in front of the truck perched he can't see directly in front of you he's looking two cars ahead so that's another thing you have to be very aware of these large vehicles that uh, they can't see as well as you can yeah that's a really good point and just remember your car has got a lot of plastic and and it's designed with crumple zones along the front so when you hit another car it, it's it's a lot safer than when you hit a truck, which is just all metal and, and bits of bars and pipes and stuff sticking out. So that will do a lot of damage. And also it's much higher. So it's at that kind of windscreen and, and roof height as well. So you just need to be so careful when you're following you know, one lapse of concentration by you. Uh, we all know that you shouldn't go anywhere near your phones when you're driving. But you yeah. you have a lapse of concentration. You go into the back of a, a car. It's not one-tenth as, as damaging as when you go into the back of a truck. Yeah, we've got one comment about the EV charging saying electricity is not free, that Dewa has now started to charge. Um, I haven't seen that yet. Um, anywhere that I've gone and I'm, I'm charging daily, I'm sure it will come. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, in, it's a grace I, I, period that it is going to come in, but I'm not quite sure when. Yeah, there's, um, I think it will be driven predominantly by by volumes on the road um that we're not there yet you do need to get a, a dewa card for charging yeah. and there are some independent charges popping up i saw a couple that have gone into some fuel stations that they're, they're managed uh by outside companies that are charging but um there's an app called plug share and yep. you just download it from the app store and that shows you where all the charges are across the ue it's fantastic so i would recommend getting that and, and users can actually leave reviews and they'll update you on whether that uh, particular charger is chargeable. So that's a, a good tip if you've got an electric yeah. car, uh, download PlugShare. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, Kamala, good morning. You have a 2014 Porsche Cayenne, um, 150,000 kilometres on the clock. Tell us a little bit about what you've got and what you're thinking to do with it. Hey, yes, good morning, gentlemen. Um, yep, I am thinking of, well, I was thinking of getting a new one, so I went to the show, well, we sort of looked it up and, and realized that there might be a new one coming out in about 12 months. Um, now, my car currently has always been dealer serviced and I've had a warranty for the And this is the last year that I've renewed the warranty, which expires next February. So I was just wondering, is it worth holding on to it for the new model to come along or is it worth just Getting is there going to be? Have you heard anything about changes to the model? Anything significant? Um, and if not, is it worth just selling it now and getting a good price for my current car? Uh, because I assume the value would drop quite considerably once the warranty has finished and another year goes by. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let Matthew sort of chip in with with the values. But what I know about with the Porsche Cayenne at the moment is that. Um, 
there there is a new one coming and it's going to have a lot more electrification in terms of uh, hybrid options as well as as is the uh, the, the little macan that's also coming uh, but 2014 there's there's a there is a there has been a facelift since then so you can get into a newer one if you like the current style and the current shape but you're right there is a new one coming uh, it's going to be quite different and it'll, it'll have uh, a lot more electrification uh, Matthew what do you think about the the, the values though yeah, I've got one quick question. Is it is it the Cayenne, the, the V6, or is it the S or GTS? Nope, it's just the regular, just the Cayenne. Uh, okay, yeah, the V6. Because at that time, they actually had a V8 option, and they're now all V6 and, and all turbocharged. Uh, but Damien makes a good point about um, the refresh, which came in 2019, which is, is, which is a beautiful-looking car, by the way. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about the new model. Uh, I think it will be about 18 months, realistically, before launch. And also then you're looking at least another 12 months before significant cars come on the market to affect the, the previous models. I would look actually, though, at still selling, looking to sell your car um, simply because if you're not going to renew that warranty, I think you can renew it one more year because up to 10 years with Porsche. Um, I think if you're not going to renew, then you should sell because selling with a warranty um, is it's not so much even the price. It's the attractiveness to buyers. And your car will massively stand out against other cars on the market. In terms of value at the moment, because it is under warranty, I think you'd be looking probably around eighty-two to eighty-five thousand dirhams. You may even push up to ninety um, with that car being under warranty. But I would I would look at um, not necessarily holding out for the new model. I would actually look at other options that are available to you that that, that cars that you may be attracted to. Um, but that new model is not going to affect you right now. Okay, so which other options would you consider? I mean, I, lo- I do love driving this car. It is a beautiful car to drive. So that's why I was thinking of um, going for the Cayenne again. Yeah, well, I-, I think if you're really stuck on the Cayenne, Damien makes a great point. After 2019, you've, you've got the facelift, um, and they they are going to hold their value even when the new one comes out because it will take so long for it to really affect it so i would probably trade out of this car sell this car and then i would look at getting either a 19 20 21 if you can get one although there wasn't many uh, that came out into the market but certainly a 19 or 20 model would probably be the move that you would make if you really like the cayenne and it is it is such a luxurious sporty suv i can understand why you love it so much Okay, thank you. Brilliant. Thank, thanks very much, Kamala. And, uh, yeah, makes, makes a good point. They did bring out the, uh, uh, the newer model, and um, there are a few of those around as well. We've had another uh, text message about the, uh, the, the Dewa cards, and uh, uh, a quick comment saying that it was, it was free until the end of 2021, uh, but he's paid 50, I don't know who this person is, has paid 54 dirhams since then. So... Um, even at fifty-four dirhams, I mean, that, come on, that's that's still that's still pretty good going. Yeah, yeah. Look, look. The, the day that the, the the electricity is chargeable here, I'm not worried. <laughs> when I'm enjoying it, that it's free. But you know, I think it's going to still be a fraction of what it costs. Yeah. Uh, versus putting fuel in the car. So you know, when when that time does happen. Um, but one thing, it, it, if it's a Tesla that you do have, just go to either um zabil dubai uh, mall or to mall of the emirates where you've got the tesla superchargers yeah. which you definitely won't pay for and if you want to go a bit further um the last exit just past dubai park and resorts on both sides has tesla superchargers as well 
Fantastic. Fix it or flip it. It's a busy morning this morning. Tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. It's easy how this one works. Just give us the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Send them to 4001 or via the ARM Play app. Matthew, we've got a few text messages coming in. Uh, No name on this one. It's a Nissan Patrol Platinum. It's the top spec, 2016, uh, 94,000 kilometres. Yeah, I won't have too much trouble selling that. Uh, the 16s with that type of kilometers is around 160,000 dirhams at the moment. But, yeah, that will move very quickly. Very nice car. Yeah. Um, and another one we've got here, it is the, uh, let me see, uh, Arsalan is, uh, who would like to buy a Toyota Camry. Budget is thirty to 35,000 at the moment. And just looking for a bit of advice on that one. Yeah. Well, we all know about the Camry and how reliable it is. Um, Dubai wouldn't have used the Camry for so long as taxis if they weren't reliable. Um, You'd have to go back to 2012, 2013 to pick one up for that budget. Um, Just at that age, getting on for nearly 10 years old, it would be good just to get an inspection on the vehicle, just get um, an inspection company or a mechanic to look over it ahead of buying, because you just don't want to, to buy it if your budget's tight and then have immediate expenditure so spend a few hundred dirhams to get an inspection and look around 2012 2013 yeah brilliant we're going straight on the line now to ashkar ashkar tell us about what you've got and what you're looking for hi i have a volvo xc90 SUV, uh a 2014 model uh have done about 130,000 kilometers so far uh i'm looking for a price for that i think good condition exterior into the all in good condition. Okay, so that's the uh, XC90, uh, 2014 model, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Morning. Uh, morning. Um, yeah, morning. it's it's a good it's a good car for Dubai because it's seven seats, and that's always the advantage that uh, people want the extra space. Not even if they're using it daily, because we all have visitors that come and see us from time to time. You're looking around, I would say thirty seven, thirty eight thousand for that vehicle right now in the market. Um, do, do put seven seats in the uh, the headline if you are going to sell it yourself um, because that that is the strong the strong feature of that car yeah it's a I drive uh, Dubai to Abu Dhabi daily and it's a solid car yeah brilliant all right Ashka good luck with that one thank you so much we're going straight now to uh, to Bob uh, Bob you've got a question that a lot of people are asking yes hi good morning Damien and Matt how are you Good, thanks. Good, good. Tell, tell us what, what you're after. So I'm driving a Mercedes right now, a C-Class. It's a five-year-old car. I want to change it now. And um, I've been looking for a new car for the last two, three weeks. And I've been around to a lot of showrooms and I've seen a lot of cars. I haven't seen the value for the money in the car that I'm seeing in the showrooms right now. And, and I think the Land Cruiser 300 is the only car where I see the value in what I'm getting. Like ventilated seats and uh, airplanes and, you know, seven seats and all that. All that package in a BXR, four liter, is under 300,000. So it looks like a value for money at the moment. And I don't know what else I can buy in that price. So I just want to ask around, is it worth spending extra um, from my budget to buy a Land Cruiser 300 and keep it for five or seven years? 
I, I think you'll get your money back um, because they're ve- they're still very hard to, to come by. I haven't driven one yet, but I will be able to talk about it maybe on the next issue of Motomania because I do finally have one booked in to uh, to get my hands on it. So I'll be able to talk about the LC300 in a little more detail. But uh, in terms of – you're right. I mean, you're getting your um, – it, it, it depends. Whatever you drive off the showroom floor, it's going to depreciate. That, that's the rule of thumb, right, Matthew? But the LC300 is the one you're probably the most likely to get. Depending on, of course, what you're looking for. But in that kind of market, that kind of rain, range, um, you're probably going to get most of your dollar back when you go to sell it. Yeah, well, I'm so glad you called in because I talk about this often to friends. And everything you just said is right. And the answer is yes, I would get one. I think out there right now... Um, a car that's effectively a new model, so you feel that you've got something quite special, it ticks that box. Um, you've got that bulletproof residual value with a Land Cruiser. They hold their value so well. And we're in a market where used car values are crazy anyway, so it ticks that box. And, and everything else that you talk about as well, in terms of the, the luxury features like cooling seats, the ability to transport all of your family around, a vehicle that's great around the city and perfect wherever you go out into the desert or the wadis. I mean, yeah, it's everything. And and the new model's just been launched, as you say, the 300. So I, I would go for it. I, I don't see it much better out there. And, you know, if you've got a C200, I'm guessing you said it's five years old, so it's a 2017. Um, you'll be looking around 80, 80K, 85K maybe to, to, to put towards that. Um, Land Cruiser, if you've got um, a more expensive C-Class like the C63, then you're well on your way towards it. Um, but yeah, I would, I would move on from the C-Class and get the Land Cruiser. Fantastic. How, how does that Thank sound, you very much, guys. Brilliant. I think, I, think, I think that's the answer I'm looking for. But what else is there in that price which ticks all the boxes as Land Cruiser does? What else is there to compare it with? I couldn't find well, anything. Yeah, well, you've got you've got its nearest rival, which is the Nissan Patrol, which also recently um, was updated as well. Um, you know, I've, I personally would sway towards the Land Cruiser, but you know, there is the option of the Patrol as well, it, it, which is its direct rival. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Thanks very much, Bob. You too. We're going straight now to uh, Roan. Good morning, Roan. Uh, you've also got an SUV, but a very different one. Tell us about this. Yeah, morning, gents. Love the show, first of all. Um, I have a Jeep Wrangler 2015 Sahara, um, unlimited sort of the four-door. Uh, I've had it for maybe five years, 98,000K. Looking to maybe upgrade or just go for a Ford Ranger or a Ford F-150? I do like the off-roading, but uh, I think I can probably get good value for, for the car as it is. Yeah, well, you've picked two interesting cars there because they're both they're both newer in terms of being uh, having been released. The F one fifty, reasonably new one, um, so many different specs and models within the F one fifty range. You can pretty much tailor what you like. Uh, Ford Ranger, brand new, big big demand, probably a waiting list. We had a call for this the Ranger two weeks ago, wasn't it, Matthew? With um, yeah, saying yeah. that look, the demand's going to be there, the supply issues are there, but the current one is still a good option for 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 the interim anyway. Yeah. And then in terms yeah. of value for the for the Wrangler? Yeah, so um, I was talking to the guys at Expat Motors in our coups, and they were saying, Matthew, we just want Jeeps at the moment. We can literally, and their words, not mine, they said we can sell them for whatever we want. They're in so much demand. I mean, that 15 uh, Wrangler Unlimited would probably still fetch 
85, may, maybe yeah. uh, worst case, definitely above 80. Um, but I would say I would hold out for 85 all day long at the moment, even though it's seven years old now. They're, ju they're just they're just a hot ticket at the moment. Um, and and it's a good time to sell it because they will, e even though the market's um, in such demand, they will pull off a little bit as we get into the summer because, you know, there's less and less demand to go out into the desert and do what these things really uh, shine at. Um, yeah, but I think you'll get 85. And, and, you know, going back to the question about the Ranger, yeah, you've, we, we, we talked about it two weeks ago. The, the, the new one's coming, but yeah, I would I would uh, still look at the existing model as some good deals around for them. And, you know, I'm a, always a fan of the, the trucks, the F-150s as well. So, yeah, you've got a couple of strong options there and you should get mid 80s for your Wrangler. Awesome. Thanks, James. Fix it or flip it. Tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. We need the details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, as much information as you can. Send them to 4001 or via the ARN Play app and straight to the line. We've kept Sylvia waiting during, during that break. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Thank you. You've got a Kia Cerato, I understand. Yes. So that's my old car, actually. I have the, I have the Ford Ranger 2022 now, and I'm trying to sell my Kia Cerato. It's a 2014 model, um, and it's brown in color, and I've done 220,000 kilometers on it, but it does have a hole in the back. When you say a hole in the back, that's f give us an idea. We're talking tennis ball size, pin yeah. creek size? <laughs> <laughs> so it's for a trailer? Uh, for my motorbike, so uh, yeah. I see. I, 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 yeah. Okay, Matthew, over to you. It's the Ranger show today. Ford Rangers are getting <laughs> a lot of love. Um, yeah, the the Serato. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. Do you fix the damage, or or do you just you know explain it away? The kilometers are high for that car. Uh, my feeling is it would would be around twenty five, but it might be worth spending. 500 to 800 dirhams which is what a fair price should be to to fix that up in a body shop um and i and i think you'd probably get knocked down more than that so i would look at actually just going into alcus or caseus and getting that car patched up um because i don't think a buyer is going to be concerned that there the was damage there but um you know everybody's car whether it's a used car is then is their new pride and joy so you don't want it yeah. with any any damage to it so Look at if you've got the time. Look at fixing that, and, and you should be paying five hundred to eight hundred dirhams because that's what it costs to repair a panel. Um, and I think you'll probably then sell that car for mid twenties. Okay, that's great. Thank you. I'll do that. Actually, thank you. Brilliant. Good luck with that, Sylvia. And of course, if you're looking to uh, sell used cars, CarSwitch.com used car deals that you can trust. We've got Nick on the line now. Uh, Nick, good morning. You have a Peugeot. I have a very old Peugeot. Yeah, it's a, a loyal Peugeot. Okay, tell us the model and what, what are you you're looking to sell it, I guess? It's, I, I don't know. I'm just wondering idly whether it's worth anything. It's a Peugeot 308. Mm -hmm. um, it's from, I think, 2009 and it's got about 137K on it. Okay, so uh, 2009 model, 137 kilometres, is Peugeot 308. Is it the, so it's a five door, is that right? Yes. Okay, do you know the engine, engine spec specification? Honestly, have no clue. Right, over to you, Matthew. <laughs> take it, take it from here. <laughs> uh, probably, probably the one point six. Yeah. Um, 
a good friend of mine, Jason, actually, for years and years and years had this car and it, and it was like literally falling apart. And he'd drive up and meet me at hotels in Valley Park it without any shame. And, and every time I hear about a 308, I, I've got a big grin on my face because I picture those moments where this car with every part of the panels hanging off and stuff pulled up and he jumped out <laughs> with a smile on his face. Um, look, my, my feeling is, you know, all cars have got value, especially when they're running. And if it's running okay, it's definitely got value to somebody. Um, it will probably be around nine to 10,000 dirhams because if it's running, um, that's what that car will be worth. If it has got issues, you may, you may have to come down from that, but it, you will sell it and you'll sell it for about nine to 10,000 dirhams. Wow. That's about double what I thought. That's amazing. Thank you. Well, just 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 remember on that on that part part, and and everyone should know this that you know the scrap value of a car is between three to four thousand dirhams anyway. Um, so you know you, you're never going to go. It's impossible for you to go below that. Um, but in terms of a running car, remember people have to get from A to B, and not everybody's got the money to spend thirty, forty, fifty thousand on a car. Um, and that is the entry point for a lot of people that sort of sub ten k. So I would I would hold out and worst case you'll get eight thousand definitely, but I'd hold out for that sort of nine ten K value. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. And we're going straight to uh, to Gus. You've got a Mitsubishi Pajero uh, two thousand seventeen, but low kilometers though by by the look of things. It has sixty K. Brilliant, and uh, it's you say full options, but uh, what what's what spec have you got? It's the four cylinder or the? So, so here's here's the thing. I'm not I'm not big on cars. I just bought it from a friend of mine for a really good deal. So I want to see if it's worth keeping it or uh, flipping it and getting a new one. Um, so I know it's the top of the line. It's a seven seater, all leather. Uh, you know, electric me uh, electric. You know, the the, the side mirrors, etc. Um, but. I don't know anything more than that. I, my wife drives it. <laughs> okay, Matthew. Uh, what, what do I not know about Pajero's? <laughs> I, I, I want to do a show where we don't talk about Pajero. Uh, we can speak to Zena and, and have a, a Pajero-free weekend. Um, but all joking aside, uh, yeah, you've probably got the GLS Highline. That's the 3.8. Uh, they do a 3.5, actually. They're, they're, they're all... all, all uh, it, is, it is a 3.8. I know that. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, in terms of value, you're looking around early 70s, maybe 71, 72,000 for that car right now. But bear in mind, they've now stopped production of the Pajero. Um, and it's so popular here that the the newer models, i.e. five years and younger, so starting from your model all the way up to, to 21, um, they're always going to hold their value over the next few years. So at the moment, it's early 70s. But even if you kept it for a couple of years, it won't drop dramatically unless you do high kilometers okay cool yeah. brilliant gus thank you so much right. and uh we've got a uh, a message here for you matthew it's from uh, from scott um he's got a 2018 bmw 430i convertible motorsport wants to know how much that is worth and has also asked a question is it hard to get a porsche 911 right now are prices high due to the supply problems i can probably answer that one for you too <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean if he's talking about the 992 good luck good luck yeah. but in in general damien you, you you've always known this in this region porsche has always done so well um i i get baffled by how well porsche hold their values you know you look at 
It's an eight-year-old 911 Turbo still selling for, for over 300000 mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, quite remarkable. But um, going back to his 430M Sport Convertible, um, that's a lovely car. I mean, we're, that, we're coming yeah. out of the, the nice weather right now, but still nice to drive in the evening with the top down. But I think about 170, 170000 for that car. Um, but yeah, if you really do want a 992, I would probably, uh, because the used car values of, of the ones that are less than a year old, a nearly new new car price, if you can hold out for, for, for waiting for the new new ones, which are about six months at the moment wait list, I, I'd order one. And then you can get it exactly what color you want and the spec that you want. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. If it's an i nine two, you're after just just go to Porsche, get your name on and, and name down and just wait. To be That's honest, the best option. Yeah, I think I think the rules of engagement for for buying new cars at the moment, but particularly with Porsche and the nine eleven, is the same as it's always been. It's not just because of the supply issue problems, because. They just sell, and you need to do that anyway. Even in the good times, you need to get your name down early, put your order in, because they just they fly out the door, and and a lot of them are you know bespoke. They've they've got certain levels of modification and 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 individualization made to them before they arrive here. So if you if you see a new nine eleven in the showroom, it's probably already got someone's name on it, and that's in the good times. So with supply issues, definitely um, you will be waiting. You'll be paying a premium. But that's normal for, for, for the 911 market anyway, I'd think. Yeah, and a top tip is, look, if, you, if you're on the fence with stuff and you, and, and you can afford to lose a little bit of money, put a deposit down. I mean, I yeah. bought my Tesla. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I ordered my Tesla in October last year with a 500 Durham deposit. I never paid anything more until it arrived. At any point, I could have canceled it and lost that 500. But now that wait list is a year. If you go on and order that same car now, I think they've increased the deposit to a thousand dirhams. But even so, a five hundred or a thousand dirhams to hold a car and kind of figure out what your next move is. If you if, if that's what you want, that's not a bad option, you know, to put a deposit down. I don't know currently what the deposit requirements for Porsche is, but it's it's not a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. And then you can secure that car. And if if if, if a few months time changes uh, and and you know you're prepared to to lose that small deposit then that could be an option but um yeah i i i would just get your name down because the situation is not going to change and maybe maybe even those wait times or or get a bit longer so yeah time to go down and see the guys at porsche yeah absolutely and and be like scott too he, he said he couldn't uh, call us because he was driving so um uh be responsible thank you so much scott for that and do only call us when it is safe to do so um matthew i've got another message here to read out and this is from r1 he has a cadillac xt5 uh, 2017 model seventy-two thousand kilometers just wants to know roughly what the what the value is in the market at the moment yeah interesting isn't it cadillac because i don't think uh cadillac has done as well as I ever thought they would do here. Mm. Uh, they just don't seem to get the exposure. Uh, s- saying that that car's probably around 90,000 dirhams at the moment, but I think that they're, they're such a nice car to sit in that, you know, they feel, uh, they still they still feel very American, but they actually feel like much more premium than Ford. Um, but they've just never done as well as I ever, ever thought they would do here. Um, but yeah, around 90,000. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because the design is very individual, it's very unique and uh and and it's, you know, it's 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 a good looking thing and and I drove the CT5, the the performance version and uh, it's, you know, it it honestly you're looking at BMW M5, Mercedes AMG spec for for a lot less and I, yeah, you're right. I don't understand why there aren't more of them rolling out the showroom floors. 
and a great great range you know you've got every everything with cadillac from um you know the entry level right through to real blistering performance with some of their top models yeah uh, and and you throw in luxury as well so yeah it's always been a surprise to me but um that car is 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 some luxury for somebody at around ninety thousand. Yeah, definitely. And don't forget the number is zero four eight seven one double five double zero. Give us a call. We'll tell you exactly what you need to know about your your car or the car that you're looking to buy, or if you're just looking to get a, a gauge. You've seen something interesting through uh, through 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 the sites. Then you're you're looking around through um, and give us a call with that one. Um, now we've got uh, an interesting text here. And this comes from Jonathan. It's um, slightly different. It starts out, it's a BMW X1 2013, 1.8 litre, black, 100,000 kilometres on the clock. He's the second owner. But get this, his previous owner was Diego Maradona. And he says, quote, no joke. Um, Do you think that's going to add any value? Ah, What a great question. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Maradona was uh, manager of of Dubai-based Al-Wasel Football Club, I think, around 2011, about 10 years ago. Um, so he was in the region, yeah, living here, uh, managing Awasal. Uh, you know, for me, the first World Cup I really got into was Mexico 86, and that was the hand of God. So as a Brit, mm. I've never been a huge Maradona <laughs> fan, so it wouldn't add any, any value to me. But what a player, what an amazing player. Um, look, the car's value, I, I, I suppose, is, is around 35K. Putting Maradona's name would probably get interest for the car, in the sense of it will make it stand out. I'm not sure it'll put massive value and unless somebody is a huge Maradona fan. Um, but you, you've got to be careful because you could you go out and put a name to it and then, um, you know, lose time by just, you know, nobody picking up that car. It's still got to be priced quite fairly. But mm. I would say the Maradona name would just get attention to the to the advert, would get attention to the car. I don't see it adding much more than even 5,000 dirhams um, yeah, unless it's a unless it's a crazy Maradona fan here that has to have it, uh, you know. But you know, it's 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 still a car at the end of the day, and it's a it's a nearly a ten year old X one. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think I think thirty five is around the value for it. Yeah, unless there's something like a, like a certificate of authenticity or a photograph or a, maybe a signature under the hood or on the dash well, or something like the, that that you can connect the car to. The old Mulkia, the registration card. Yeah. I mean, that, that will be, if it has that, then yeah, that's something. As in, if he's got his name on the Mulkia. But if the car was registered, you know, over the years, you wouldn't believe how many people have told me that, you know, a sheikh or a member of the royal family owned the car before. Um, you hear these type of things all the time. And um, it's, it sounds romantic, you know, if, if, if it was somebody, you know, like a member of the royal family that owned a particular car before you. But look, from my from my point of view, that car, um, unless you've got Maradona's name on the yeah. registration card and, and you've got that old registration card, that's that's about the limit, isn't it? I doubt yeah. he signed the car anywhere. It just would have been a a, a vehicle to move him around. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, you're right. They're going to uh, to Kishore, who's on the line. Kishore, you've got an Audi A5 convertible. Tell me a little bit more about this Audi. Uh, hi, so. So this is an eight-year-old car, uh, single-use. I've been, I've been, I've been loving this car since uh, quite some time now. Uh, but it's about time that I kind of got rid of it. So I wanted to check. One is that I mean, it's not giving me any problems. Ex- uh, I did have a little bit of suspension problems, but nothing major. Uh, wanted to check. One, do I need to sell it, or should I keep it until it completely goes out of juice, and then probably give it up for, for uh, maybe say uh, for junk value. 
Okay, 113,000 kilometres, Matthew, 2014. Uh, hi, morning. Is it the 1.8 four-cylinder? Yes, it is. It's a 1.8 okay. four-cylinder. Yeah, I mean, a great selling feature, you know, if it's been with you since new, I always say this to people, that's such a great selling feature because you know the car from brand new. So anybody stood in front of you have got a connection to that car right back to its initial kilometer. I think the value of that car is probably around 70000 in the market right now. Um, 68, 69 might be even the price to put it online for. Um, but it, it will sell. And, and, and I certainly think um, if you wanted to continue to, to keep it, uh, it's a good option because you've known the car since brand new. You know, you know it inside out. Um, but if you did sell, be quick. It's April now and temperatures are rising. And, and anybody on the fence um, with a convertible car, you, you've probably got a month to move that before it will start getting <laughs> difficult. So, um, right. yeah, uh, but, I, I, you know, eight-year-old car, it is it is probably worth moving it on now. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Kishore. And we've got now uh, Karthik. Matthew, he's got a car that you, both you and I would definitely like, I think. Uh, it's a Land Rover Defender, saying it's the previous, it's the old shape, 2014. Um but it's uh, it's been imported from France. But it's the uh, get this, it's the Bowler edition. Uh, good morning, Karthik. Good morning, uh, good morning, guys. Uh, so uh, I've I've had it since uh, 2014. Um, I imported it to Dubai uh, in 2017. It's uh, got a lot of work done in the bowler, so it's stage two mod, engine mod, uh, plus all of the Bilstein suspensions and roll bars. So it's really uh, made it, it made it for the road, uh, and it's uh, complete new interiors with leather and uh, GPS and various other things. So I'm wondering uh, what whether what would the value be if I would sell it today. Um, I know these are collectibles, but uh, what would the value be if I sell it today? And with uh, 127,000 kilometres, I think, on that one. So, uh, Matthew, what do you think about this, the bowler? Super cool. <laughs> um, it? It's interesting, though, because, um, you know, when, when they announced they were stopping making the Defender, you know, everybody just went crazy and tried to grab them and, and spend a lot of money on them. And then, of course, out pops a new Defender which is actually uh, also an amazing vehicle. Every time I'm on the road and I see the new Defender, I kind of have to look twice. I still absolutely love what they've done with it. Um, but going back to the Bowler Edition, uh, I, I, if I had a disappointment, it would be I think the kilometers are a little bit high. Um, they, they are collectible, but you know they're, they're collectible when they're, they've got a lot less kilometers. Uh, my feeling is you'd be really... Um, not wanting to put that much over 300,000. Um, I think that would be the limit. Um, but these cars, they're so specific. Uh, and it, it's what somebody's willing to pay. As always, I say when it's a rare car, you know, it's not like the average person is out there looking for, for a bowler if they just want a regular Defender. So I, my feeling is around 300, but you can test the market on whatever you want. You could put it at 395 and just leave it there and see how people react to it. But uh, my feeling of its value is around 300. There you go, Carl. I think yeah. that's, how does that sound? Yeah, that, I mean, I had 350 in mind to put it out. So that's kind of uh, um, pretty much, uh, you know, spot on in terms of uh, you're right. It, it depends on who wants to pay for it and, uh, and, and what they see in the car. 
Yeah. But no, that's very helpful. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a very specialised vehicle, but there are people who do like it. Right, Matthew, it's time now to get on to the speed quote. We've got 60 seconds to get this one done. How's, uh, how's the, the fingers feeling light and leaf? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for you. <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's get let's get straight into it. We've got a, a Jeep Lorado 2018, 55,000 kilometres, under warranty and service contract. Uh, Laredo, uh, round 125. Okay, 2015 uh, Ford Explorer Limited, pearl white, 127,000 kilometres, warranty until February 24. Uh, the warranty is attractive, but it's still 55, 56,000. Okay, a Mercedes E300 2020 model, 2 litre, 36,000 kilometres. Oh, that's 180, 185. Ooh, okay. A uh, Porsche Cayenne GTS 2015, 113,000 kilometres. Still fetching good money. Uh, the 15's about 150. Great. 2019 Mitsubishi ASX. It's the GLX Blue model, 15,000 kilometres only. I love blue. Uh, about 34, 35,000. A 2019 Mazda CX-5 GS, 72,000 K. Oh, they're getting good money. Uh, late 60s, 68, 69. Oh, there you go. So we've got you down four. Zena's putting six fingers in the air. You've got six. Yeah, good effort. Not a bad effort at all under the circumstances. Um, yeah, there's some details in some of those early ones. Six is not too bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm always happy when we when we get six or seven. Uh, it's a good effort, and I like to, as I've always said, I like to focus and try and get as close to the price as I can. Nah, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, as always, Matthews. Uh, any plans for the holy month? Now that we've uh, we're, we're we're into Ramadan already. Yeah, but my friend's got the MC20, the Maserati new MC20. So guess what? I'm going to go and play <laughs> with today. So I'm really, I've really got a good smile on my face today. Okay, you're going to have to tell me about it because I haven't got my hands on this one yet. So uh, keep keep I me know, posted exactly. on that one. Exactly, we'll talk about it on the next show. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I just want to, I just want to give thanks uh, also for for the UAE for Expo. 2020. I mean, yeah. w- who could have done what what the UAE and Dubai did? During a pandemic, I was there. I was there on the penultimate night on Wednesday, and I got goosebumps still thinking about that night. It was full of people having a great time and just enjoying it. And it, it's just something to be. I think we'll be proud of that for years and years to come. What the UAE's done and what Dubai's done for for the expo is put expo back on the map for sure. People are now talking about expos, and and in fairness, that they weren't before Dubai hosted it. Yeah, I could not agree more. And and so many people are talking about going to the next one now in Japan because of the success here in Dubai. And and, and I echo that. Um, congratulations, my book, to everyone at Dubai Expo for putting on a fantastic show for the past six months. We've been very heavily involved with it here at uh, Dubai Eye and everyone at ARN over the six months. Enjoyed every every moment of it. And um, you know who knows? There might be a, quite a few flights going to Japan for the next one. Yeah, I know Osaka well, and they'll do a good job, but I don't think anyone will ever come close to Dubai. So, yeah, congratulations to everybody and all the volunteers that made it so special for us. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Matthew. This is Motor Mania. More coming up next on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, Motor Mania with you through until midday, and I'm joined in the studio with by uh, Noel Ebden and just been talking about trucks and all things big. And speaking of all things big, I did allude to it earlier on, and it is a new luxury SUV. It's called the Asnom Palladium. Have you heard of this, Noel? 
I heard rumours about it, and then uh, you and I were chatting about it the other day, and it's uh, it sounds fascinating. I want I want one <laughs> it already. Is, I haven't even seen it. So. Absolutely stunning. It's based on the Ram, um, but it's made by the Italian company Asnom, and uh, there's only ten that's that are going to be made. Period. The first one has been sold here in Dubai. Each one is worth one million euro. Now that's four point one million dirhams. Uh, now I met the man who came up with the idea of building this car. His name is Marcello Marigali. I'll get that right. He's the CEO of Asnam. And he was in Dubai for the first public reveal of this car just a few days ago. And he told me how the idea came about to him uh, only a few years ago. It's a strange idea that I had in 2014, if I remember well. I was in New York for other things for my job. And I've seen the motorcade of, I think it was Obama, and I've seen for the first time in real, uh, with the real eyes, uh, the, the beast. So the, it's the Cadillac, the presidential one. I didn't expect it was so big, it's so, uh, so, so standing, because I always seen the pictures. And uh, in the pictures, okay, it seems big, but it's not so, so enormous. And I thought, okay, we, we, we must uh, do something similar. And um, when we thought to, to produce something with the brand Hadnam, because we, we, we work for other brands in the, auto, on the automotive industries, we want not to focus on the always standard supercar uh, made for uh, 300 kilometers per hour, etc., but something real strange. And for this reason, we have done this. And it's a pleasure that even uh, some friends of the media said that this is the first uh, hyper limousine in the world. As you said, keep emphasizing it's a big car. It's based, it's very basically based on the RAM, but obviously massive modifications. Yeah. Tell us about what you've done in terms of mixing the drivetrain package with the luxury package. <laughs> the RAM, I think, is the best base to do such a big car. Uh, you cannot have another, uh, another body-on-frame chassis so big. And it's even very good because all the electronics is completely new. Uh, the air suspension are perfect. It seems, to, it seems to ride like on a Bentley or an Rolls Royce. It's very, very nice. What we've done is to change completely the um, uh, hydraulic part of uh, the suspension. What we've done is completely change the brakes in, in the braking system. Uh, the, the chassis has been reinforced with a roll cage, both for uh, security and for uh, the rigidity, the, the torsional uh, rigidity, that now is much, much, much better than, uh, than before. Uh, we completely changed the engine, so the base is the AMEV8, uh, but now we have a 6.23 liters twin turbo made in Italy. Uh, it makes a 750 horsepower. We also changed the gearbox, and now is a new ZF reinforced with 8 speed. With this base, we have the fortune to use uh, the um, four wheel drive system, so normally when you turn on the car, it's rear wheel drive. You can have a four wheel drive automatic, four wheel drive with uh, locking differentials and even the shorter gear ratio for uh, heavy hard, uh, for heavy off-road. Fantastic, 750 horsepower. One of the things that really stands out at the horizontal sliding tailgate, if you want, for, for, the, for the luggage uh, storage area, but the luggage inside looks really, really nice. It's tailor-made for this car. Obviously, there's a bit of history with, with, your, with your company. Yes, because uh, Adlam is a company that is born in 2006, but it has been off of our main group, and we are in the business from 1856. So we have always done uh, luxury things for big hotels, uh, three-star Michelin restaurant. So started this spin-off, focusing on leather goods. With the leather goods, we have entered 
in the automotive and nautical industries and we start to uh, create uh, always something uh, much better and better for the automotive industries uh, since uh, nowadays that we produce our car, our car with uh, our own brand. So the luggage set is completely handmade by us and designed by us, but every client should, uh, should um, decide what kind of uh, luggage pieces he needs for a long dress for a woman, a big trunk for sports or whatever the client wants. I understand there's only 10 vehicles being made with this one. Yeah. Uh, the first one has been sold and sold here, I believe. Yes, sir. Is there a reason why the production has been capped at 10? Yeah, we want to keep it uh, quite uh, limited and luxurious, so maximum 10, and even the production, it takes around 8 months to do each car, and uh, for this reason we cannot do 10 altogether, we, we, we need a lot of production, and uh, for this reason 10 cars should be the, 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 the perfect goal for us. Can you give me a hint on the price? Yeah, the car will have a price of 1 million euros, the car is shown today, so apart from the engine there will be the standard engine you can choose option on engine option on even on the brakes now we have here the Brembo iron brakes but you can upgrade to the carbon ceramic brakes that we have done in collaboration with the carbon brake in Germany and it's the biggest carbon brake <laughs> all over in the world because the car is quite huge and we need a very very big carbon brake also so you can upgrade the brakes you can upgrade even the engine and for sure you can upgrade or choose what you want to do inside. Uh, you have seen uh, the back with this uh, very nice sofa. It's a sort of uh, um, coming back in the 60s when uh, you drive, uh, when the, the chauffeur or when your friends are in the back. Uh, you have uh, in the nearby your wife or your friends and not more uh, the style of the van with uh, the lounge seat. Yeah, fascinating car. And if you're trying to picture it, get onto Dubai Eye's social media, Instagram. We've got it all there, at Dubai Eye 1038FM, and you'll see what we're talking about. Now, I've also been speaking to uh, Matteo Bertinelli. He's the chief designer and uh, of this car. Now, as you said, it's based on the Ram, but it's had an awful lot of modifications made to it. We cannot start from a white paper, uh, and so we had to respect some... Uh uh, basic point of the car. So we didn't change the, the pillar, the A, B and C pillar are the same, but uh, we were able to create the, the, the rear part of the car. And so in that part we were more free to design what we wanted to do. And uh, so we uh, take out the, the, the pickup part uh, and recreate everything from zero. We create something special with the, the rear part of the, the bonnet that opens uh, like a drawer. I really wanted from the, the beginning because I wanted to create something very different also from that kind of point of view. And it's also very practical. On the front we have, uh, uh, we were a little bit more limited, but we wanted to increase the size also on the front. So we added uh, at least uh, 15 centimeters from the, the Dodge Ram. So increase the sign on the back was easy. Uh, on the front, not so easy, but uh, we, we designed the front part uh, in, in a way to be able to, add, to, to make it longer and to emphasize the size of, of the car also in that part. Yeah, so just in case you didn't get that, the back end opens up like a drawer. It's it's it's, it's a fascinating thing to see. It's hard to describe, but you've got to you've you've got to uh, take a look at the at our stuff on uh, Instagram, Dubai One Hundred Three Eight FM, to find it there. So essentially. It uses the donor vehicle is the is the Ram fifteen hundred uh, limited, which is the luxury version. But then it's using the TRX mechanical, so they put the the uh, the six point four liter V eight in there. Then they've twin turbocharged it. Then they've beefed up with an eight speed automatic transmission and uh, bespoke brakes, bespoke suspension. 
What would you think of this one, Noel? <laughs> can, can you imagine this car? <laughs> I'm just trying to think where to start. Um, I, I'm still stuck on hyperlimousine. That's, uh, the, um, <laughs> well, this is it. It's, it's not a pickup now anymore. It's a four-seat vehicle. This thing is a four-seater. It's the size of a Ram 1500. So it only seats four people? Yes, with a, with a boot. So it's a saloon. It's a saloon. It's no longer a truck. So these seats are enormous, I assume. Like a like a cinema. <laughs> what? Okay. All right. Um Look, they're only building 10. There are 10 people out there in the world that are going to want this. Yeah, they said they've, price, they've yeah. had an inquiry from Miami and also from, from Los Angeles. But most of, of them, course. it's yeah. aimed here. It's aimed for this region in and um, the Middle East primarily, Abu Dhabi and Dubai primarily. So that was their thinking behind this this, this vehicle. I, I think we could probably list the global cities where this is going to sell quite easily. Well, I, we, I did uh, ask him, why, why didn't we have this chat in Italy? He said it literally doesn't fit in the streets in Italy. So <laughs> it's, it's not a car for Europe. It's a car for the Middle East. And, um, um, and it's being distributed here again through through Adamas Automotive, who are taking care of all of that. So uh, fascinating to catch up with, uh, with with those guys last weekend to to see this car. And uh, you really must um, you, you put it this way: if you see it on the street, you won't miss it. That's for sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. Well, Noel Ebden, thank you so much for joining us. No uh, thank you, for everyone, for, for, for tuning in, the, the texts, the callers. It's been a, a very busy, action-packed show for Motormania, the first day of Ramadan. Uh, but that's it for this edition. We are back live on air as of April 16. This is Motormania. I'm Damien Reid, Ramadan Kareem, and don't forget to drive safely.